You're listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Ross Strader. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. Well, thank you, uh, Todd, for that introduction. I'm, I'm excited to be here. Uh, you know, a little bit of disclosure. This is my first time doing this. So you guys get to hear my rookie... Uh, preaching opportunity. I'm so excited uh, to share that with y'all. A couple things uh, that you should know about me. And the, the first thing is a, a disclosure. Uh, you know, Ross, Fritz, Todd, they didn't take a survey and say, all right, who's really crushing the Christian life? Who's, who's nailing it? Let's get that person up there and preach. That's not how I got up here. And I want to mention that because it's what we just finished singing about. What a powerful name, the name of Jesus. My son taught me my favorite prayer. His name's Scott. He's four years old. And, uh, you know, one night at dinner, we're all sitting around, and I don't know how this came up, but everybody starts flexing muscles. And so, you know, kids go around, and of course, it's daddy's turn. So I, you know, roll up the sleeve, flex the muscle, and Scott goes, whoa, dad, that's incredible. And he loved it, and it impressed him. And Scott, on his own accord, came up and, and would start coming up and he'd say, hey, daddy, show me that strength. Hey, daddy, show me that strength. Well, you know, I just thought that was cool. Man, I'm glad my son looks up to me. Life is hard for me right now. It's hard. It's been a tough time. I come to you from a place of weakness today. Gosh, from really a, a hard time in my life spiritually. Amy and I have five kids. We love them desperately, but they're all nine and under. And if you're a parent, you can imagine what that's like. So one day, Amy and I are just at the end of the day. It's actually a Sunday evening, which tends to be our hardest days because of what I tend to deal with. And I'm just crying with her, and I'm praying. And God in his grace brings to, to remembrance what Scott has said. Hey, Daddy, show me that strength. And I can remember crying with my wife and praying that same prayer. Hey, Daddy, Papa the one who loves me, I'm done. Show me that strength. Amen is right. And that's why I'm here today. Because daddy showed up. And I'm excited to be here today standing on that foundation. Not my own, but the one that the Lord Jesus Christ has laid for me. So that's the first thing. The second thing, obviously, I'm wearing a children's ministry Sure, Serena can tell you I love working with her, but we do object lessons in the children's ministry, and God is the best provider of object lessons. We're going to look at that as we get into the scripture today, which will be Psalm 107, if you have your Bibles. But object lessons, they're great. The second thing you need to know is I'm a doctor, and so I, I often pull object lessons. I don't do this with the kids always. Sometimes I do. But I pull object lessons from my practice, and so there will be some medical object lessons, and, and it's, hey, you know what, uh, there's disease, I have a job, there's sin, there's infection, I mean, there's infections because of sin, and it's a great picture. So we'll mention that today. It won't be graphic, but just so you know. The third thing you need to know is that I'm a former football player. Why do I bring that up? I don't think you can play the sport of football without having some intensity in you. And so that shows up. And you may see intensity on my face. My wife has kindly told me it sometimes looks like anger or mad. But it's not mad. It's not anger. It's passion. It's intensity. And so I, I lead with those disclosures. 
as we jump into God's word today. So, you know, as a former football player, one of my favorite things was off-season. I loved the off-season, which sounds kind of crazy, but, uh, you know, the 6 a.m. workouts, the soreness, the suffering, that was one of my favorite times. I loved it. Why? Because that's where you're building camaraderie. That's where you're laying a foundation. That's where you're working on your strength, your speed, so that when the time to perform is present in the midst of the game, you are prepared. 1 Timothy 4.8 says, For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for the present life and the life to come. Today, what I hope to accomplish is a little spiritual off-season that we might go to God's weight room his practice field, run some sprints, lift some weights, come away better equipped that like 2 Timothy 4.2 says that we might be prepared to preach the word in season and out of season, to correct, rebuke, encourage, and with great patience and careful instruction. So that's the goal for today. So let's get into the weight room. Let's get on to the practice field. We're going to read Psalm 107, the entire thing, excuse me. And so if you'll follow along in your Bibles, we'll get started. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say this. Those he redeemed from the hands of the foe, those he gathered from the lands from east and west, from north and south. Some wandered in desert wastelands, finding no way to a city where they could settle. They were hungry and thirsty, and their lives ebbed away. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. And he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way to a city where they could settle. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for men. For he satisfies the thirsty and fills the hungry with good things. Some sat in darkness and the deepest gloom, prisoners suffering in iron chains. For they had rebelled against the words of God and despised the counsel of the Most High. So he subjected them to bitter labor. They stumbled, and there was no one to help. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness and the deepest gloom and broke away their chains. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for men. For he breaks down gates of bronze and cuts through bars of iron. Some became fools through their rebellious ways and suffered affliction because of their iniquities. They loathed all food and drew near the gates of death. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them from their distress. He sent forth his word and healed them. He rescued them from the grave. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for men. Let them sacrifice thank offerings and tell of his works with songs of joy. Others went out on the, ships, on the sea in ships, and they were merchants on the mighty waters. They saw the works of the Lord. His wonderful deeds in the deep. For he spoke and stirred up a tempest that lifted high the waves. They mounted up to the heavens and went down to the depths. In their peril, their courage melted away. They reeled and staggered like drunken men. They were at their wits' end. They cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he brought them out of their distress. He stilled the storm to a whisper. The waves of the sea were hushed. They were glad when it grew calm, and he guided them to their desired haven. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for men. Let them exalt him in the assembly of the people and praise him in the council of the elders. He turned rivers into a desert, flowing springs into thirsty ground, and a fruitful land into a salt waste because of the wickedness of those who lived there. He turned the desert into pools of water and the parched ground into flowing springs. 
There he brought the hungry to live, and they founded a city where they could settle. They sowed fields and planted vineyards that yielded a fruitful harvest. He blessed them, and their numbers greatly increased, and he did not let their herds diminish. Then their numbers decreased, and they were humbled by oppression, calamity, and sorrow. He who pours contempt on nobles made them wander in a trackless waste. But he lifted the needy out of their affliction and increased their families like flocks. The upright see and rejoice, but all the wicked shut their mouths. Whoever is wise, let him heed these things and consider the great love of the Lord. We'll pause here and pray if you'll pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. God, that you've provided it, that we might be healed. And, and I read it this morning because you tell us to do that. First Timothy 4.13. Devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching, to teaching. God, we want to do that. We want to be a people who obey you. And as we've done that this morning, I ask that you would bless this time. Fill me with your spirit. Speak through me. Open eyes, ears, ears hearts, that we might hear and see the wonderful things in your word. We ask these things in your son, Jesus' name. Amen. So with that, let's get into Psalm 107. We'll jump back to the top there. And start with verse 1. And believe it or not, this is where we're going to spend the majority of our time today. So let's start with that first phrase. Give thanks to the Lord. Make some observations about that. That's a commandment, y'all. That is a commandment. It is best practices. It is what we are designed for. And as a physician, I love to talk to people about our design. We have a robust design. I love to sneak in there that, hey, there's a God. And he created you and he designed you. Even if you don't want to hear it, they're hearing it from me. But we are designed for it. You know, as I think about an object lesson for this verse, I'm reminded of another one of my sons, Luke. We're on family vacation in Colorado. And Luke gets an abscess. Here's the medical object story. This is the only one. Just bear with me. But Luke gets an abscess. It's an infection, right? It's, there's a collection of pus. There's one treatment for an abscess. You got to get the poison out. You got to cut it open, all right? So we go to the emergency room, and the ER physician does that. But she kind of makes a small cut. And I don't blame her. I'm not blaming her. This is right in his ribs. I mean, he's a skinny kid. There's lungs right there. I would be not very aggressive also. But she does this cut. We leave. Luke's better. But I look at that. And I've seen enough of these, even though I'm not a you know, super experienced physician, to know this is not sufficient. And so I tell Luke, I say, Luke, here's what I'm going to do. We're going to put something warm and hot on this, and then I'm going to hold you down, and I'm going to squeeze this as hard as I can, and it's going to hurt bad, and you're not going to like it. But I'm doing it because I love you. And so we do that, and Luke doesn't understand it, and he doesn't like it, and he kicks against it. But this is the remarkable part. Through his tears at the end, on his own accord, God, it's amazing how God teaches me through my children, but he says, thanks, Daddy. You're a good doctor, and I love you. Man, that's our design. Give thanks to the Lord through goodness and through trouble. Let's go to the second phrase, for he is good. We hear that all the time, right? God is good. That's one of those phrases that you can just take for granted almost. Skim right by it and keep going. But that's a place that we need to stop, look, and listen. It's in danger of becoming a pious platitude. And I had to look that word up. It's a big word. Let me give you the definition. A remark or statement, especially one with moral content that has been used too often to become interesting or thoughtful. God is good. A phrase that we are in danger 
of, making, of using it so often that it's not even interesting or thoughtful. But we never need to do that. May it never be that we do that at Bethel Bible Church. This is Psalm 119, 105 territory. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light for my path. Guys, this is a truth to hold on to in the good times and in the hard times of life. Let's make it real. I have a picture that I'd like to show you guys. It's uh, of some dear friends of mine. It's the Everett family. Yeah, there they are. Sloan, Liesel, and there, there are two kids at this time, Scarlett and Samuel. Um, March of 2017, Sloan is a cowboy. We'll get another picture up there. I mean, I, this guy's my best friend in the world. I, I want to be like him. Who wouldn't want to be like him? He looks like the Marlboro Man, right? I mean, <laughs> look up the definition of a man, and that's the picture in the dictionary. A cowboy hat, a beard. I mean, he's the real deal rancher. Well, in March of 2016, he has some cattle out in Amarillo, and there's a wildfire. And it's not a raging wildfire. It's, it's, there's a fire, and he goes to do what good ranchers do to take care of his herd. And he goes out there with a couple people, and the wind changes, completely new direction, and picks up about 40, 50 miles an hour. And that fire whoo, takes out all three of those people. And Sloan died that day. And we have a picture of where that happened. You see that little white cross up there? That's a beautiful spot. But that night, it was burned black down to the sand. So much so a helicopter can land out there. Guys, for he is good. That's something you hold on to in moments like this. I bring that up because last Saturday, eight days ago, I stood at that little cross with Liesel, his widow, on one side, and my wife on the other side, weeping. He's been a year and a half, but weeping. And I prayed to God just like Luke did. And I don't say this to say that I've got it figured out, but I said, Lord, I'm angry that this happened. I don't understand it, and I don't like it. But Psalm 119.68 says, You are good, and what you do is good. Teach me your decrees. Teach me your decrees as I stand at the grave of my best friend. And I am excited to see him one day. We've gotten into two phrases of verse 1. This is a book that's practical, the Bible. God gave it to you that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. The last words of Moses come to run. Deuteronomy 32, 47. They are not just idle words for you. They are your life. You want a great life? You want the best life? Read, study, and obey God's word. He's not trying to rip you off. He's trying to set you free. Let's go to the next phrase. His love endures forever. Love. Another one of those words. I love how God provides because you know what we made for breakfast this morning for our kids? Cinnamon rolls. And I regularly tell people, I love cinnamon rolls. I love cinnamon rolls. But I also tell people, I love my wife. I love my friend Ray. I love my you know, mother-in-law, Cindy. I love a lot of people. How could I use the same word about cinnamon rolls and about these people, right? It's a word that we need to kind of, again, stop, look, and listen. In some of your Bibles, it may be translated unfailing love or steadfast love. In Psalm 107, it's going to show up six times. It's the Hebrew noun hesed. And it's a word that we need to stop 
and examine. It's a key word to understand this psalm, but not in this psalm, but not only this psalm, you got to understand this word to as you study the Bible. It occurs over 250 times in the Old Testament. And not only the Bible, but you got to understand this word to understand God's character. And I think that's where the real value is today. We're going to try to pull that out. Exodus 34, verse 6 and 7 says, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, has said, and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love, has said, for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. That description is going to show up directly quoted or alluded to in over 14 times in the Old Testament. It is God's self-description. He said, hey, if I had to define myself, this is it. What is the only repeated quality in there? Has said, steadfast love. I told you it's my first sermon, right? I was getting some help from Ross, and he sent me an email, and I asked him about this word. He said, well, it's almost untranslatable. So that's a good thing to tackle for your first sermon, right? Pick something that's almost untranslatable. That the entirety of you know, theologians and, and Christian men, much more learned, much more experienced than me, have said, we, we really can't even translate this. So naturally, I should tackle that for my first sermon. Good choice, right? But you know, we're going to dive into it, and we have a helper that's available to all those men and to me, and that's the Holy Spirit. And trust that he will show up, because man, that's what I've been praying this morning, that he would show up today. So let's start by just looking at translations, some of these words that men have used to translate this word in the past. In the Greek uh, version of the Old Testament, the Septuagint, it's often used or translated with the Greek words for mercy, righteousness, grace, glory, and hope. In English Bibles, I've already mentioned some of these, but kindness, steadfast love, loyalty, favor, devotion, and mercy are used. When you read, his love endures forever, everything that you think about with those words as it relates to God's character and drop it in there. You got to stop, look, and listen at love. It's not something you can right on by. I, you know, I, I'm not a big uh, academic guy. No surprise, right, football player? But uh, I do better with examples. Man, I learned better with examples in medical school than I ever did in a lecture hall. And so I think it would be fruitful, useful for us to look at examples, how hesed is used between two people in the Bible. Maybe we'll gain a better understanding that way. The first place we'll turn is Joshua 2, verse 12 through 14. And in this example, the word hesed is used between Rahab and the spies. If you don't remember, Israelite, the Israelite people, God's chosen people are going into the promised land. And the first stop on that is Jericho, and the city's terrified. And some spies go in to uh, you know, check out Jericho. And this is what's said between Rahab, this harlot, and the spies. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show me kindness. Kindness to my family. That's the kindness being the word has said. Because I have showed kindness has said to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and that you will save us from death. Our lives for your lives, the men assured her. If you don't tell what we are doing, we will treat you with hesed, kindly and faithfully, when the Lord gives us the land. Hesed is always used between two people. There's an interpersonal relationship when this word is used. As we consider his love endures forever, that aspect's going to be in the, 
in that word, excuse me. There's always also that aspect, hey, I'm going to do his said for you, and you're going to do it for me. That mutuality. I expect a response back if this is a pledge I'm making to you. Another aspect of this word, also demonstrated in the scripture I just read, but it's never an abstract feeling of goodwill. It is always attached to practical action on behalf of the other party. Rahab is saying, hey, I'm putting my life on the line for you guys. That's not just a nice feeling. I love cinnamon rolls. No, I mean, I'm laying it down. If, if this goes poorly, I die and everybody in my family dies. And the Israelite spies do the same thing back to her. There's an expectation of practical action. The third part, we're going to turn to another scripture, is that it is always enduring, covenant-like, not subject to change. We can turn to the book of 1 Samuel. In chapter 20, where David requests Hesed from Jonathan, because David's in a tight spot. Saul wants to kill him. In 1 Samuel 20, verses 14 through 15, Jonathan requested back from David. These are Jonathan's words to David. But show me Hesed, unfailing kindness like that of the Lord, as long as I live, so that I may not be killed. And do not ever cut off your Hesed, kindness, from my family, not even when the Lord has cut off every one of David's enemies from the face of the earth. Well, fast forward in Scripture. David fulfills this Hesed pledge, so much so that in 2 Samuel 9, 8, Mephibosheth, John, Jonathan's son, says, he bows down before him and says, what is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? And if David wanted to give him a one-word answer, he said, well, that's simple, Mephibosheth. It's Hesed between me and your father. But here's the thing, in Psalm 107, as we've looked at this word Hesed, it's not used in the horizontal plane between men. It's used by God as he directs his said towards us, people. That's going to change the meaning a little bit. You know, I, I mentioned earlier that this word's used 250 times in the Old Testament. Over half the times, it's God who's using the word as he directs his said, his loving kindness, his steadfast love towards men. So we need to answer some questions about that when the word's used that way. Does that interpersonal relationship continue? Absolutely and always. Psalm 103 verse 17 says, But the steadfast love, the hesed of the Lord, is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him. The interpersonal relationship continues. Not only that, but it's available to all men. Psalm 36, 7. How priceless is your unfailing love, your hesed. Both high and low among men find refuge in the shadow of your wings. But something we lose when God directs that towards us is there's no response in kind. There's no mutuality. You can't add anything to God. That aspect of the word is gone. Is it attached to practical action? You betcha. It's often attached to the Hebrew verb for does, like God does has said. In Genesis, the first time it's mentioned is used towards God you know, Abraham's servant prays that, he would, that God would do his said towards his master Abraham. In the Psalms, it's tied to action words as God is practicing his said for his people. Words like hear, answer, save, redeem, deliver, help, protect, forgive. Those are things that God's people request as he acts in his said and steadfast love. In Psalm 136, the, the word is used 26 times. There's 26 verses in that psalm. Every single time, steadfast love, hesed, is used. 
And in it, it's referencing God as he creates, God as he redeems his people from Egypt, as he places them as the promised land, in the promised land, as he lifts up the poor, frees prisoners, and provides food for all creation. God is constantly acting in his said. That practical action, that aspect of the word, definitely continues. Is it enduring? No doubt. Again, look at Psalm 136. This refrain is repeated 26 times. His love endures forever. His love endures forever. God doesn't waste printer's ink. He wants to pound that into us through repetition. It is enduring and forever. As we look at the Bible and as I prepared for this time, I think the best example we could find in the scripture of a demonstration of a set is found in the book of Ruth. If you're not familiar with this, this book of the Bible, it happens in the time of the judges. We're going to quickly summarize it. There's a family living in the land of Bethlehem, Judah, the house of bread and praise is what that means. And they go to live in Moab. And God says about the land Moab that Moab is my wash pot. So they're not headed in the right direction. From the, from the house of bread and praise to Moab, to Moab God's wash pot. There's, there's four characters at the beginning. Elimelech, which means my God is my king. Naomi, her name means pleasant. Mahalon, their children, the oldest son, and his name means unhealthy. And Chilion, and his main name means puny. So my God, my God is my king, and pleasant had kind of unfortunate children. Well, in Moab, no surprise, outside of God's will, because God's people are told not to go there, uh, Elimelech dies. And not only that, his sons take Moabite wives. This is just strictly forbidden for these Jewish men. Orpah is the name of one wife. Her name means deer. She's athletic. Ruth is the name of the other wife. And her name means beauty. Or one commentator said glamour. And this is every sense of the word. Not just physically beauty, uh, physical beauty, but beautiful in every way. In the way that she thinks, her personality, her actions. So, fast forward. The two sons died. No surprise that unhealthy and puny die in Moab. And so it's the three girls left, all right? You have Naomi, Orpah, and Ruth. And in Ruth nine, uh, chapter 1, verse 9 and 10, everybody's weeping, rightly so, because a lot of people have just died. And both daughter-in-laws pledged to Naomi, we will go back with you to your people. That kind of sounds like said, right, For, on both their parts. But Naomi says, time out, girls. We're going to pull into reality station here, all right? And in the next three verses, she says, I have no more sons. There's no one for you to marry. I'm too old for a husband. Even if I had one tonight and was pregnant with twin boys, would you wait for those boys to grow up that you could have husbands? Now, if you come with me, you're going to remain unmarried with no prospects. And in that time, if you didn't have land and you had to have sons to have land, you had no chance. You were going to be homeless and in poverty for the rest of your days. On top of that, Naomi's going to change her name from pleasant to bitter, Mara. So there's nothing attractive about going with Naomi. And Orpah says, thank you for the full disclosure. I'm out. <laughs> and she kisses Naomi goodbye, and she walks off the page of Scripture. But Ruth, Ruth demonstrates the said, the kind of steadfast love that God shows to us. And she says, don't urge me to leave you 
or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if anything but death separates you and me. Is that not how God acts in his steadfast love towards us? We're completely unattractive, nothing to offer, and not pleasant, but bitter. I think that's the best example that I could find of said demonstrated in the Bible. You know what's incredible is that God seems to take notice of this. He says, whoa, whoa. Things like that, I can use and I want to honor. Because what's amazing is that Ruth's great, 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 I don't know how many greats it is, but it's a lot of great, grandson is the Lord Jesus Christ. His earthly descendants, uh, his, his uh, human genealogy can be traced back to Ruth. Isn't that the, the love that he ultimately demonstrates for us? Incredible. So we finish verse one. Right? I'm reminded of Proverbs 2, 4 through 5, which says, If you look for it, it being wisdom or understanding, as for silver, and search for it as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. I've never been a silver miner, but I imagine it's back-breaking work. Hot, dark, dusty, and you're done at the end of the day when you're a silver miner. Well, God says, that's how you should approach his word to go back to talk about off-season. If you're running weights, if you're running sprints or lifting weights in God's weight room or on his practice field, and there is some, some precious things that come at the end of that, and you will come away better equipped. And it's my hope and prayer that we as a body, a church, a group of people called out by God, not a building, would do more of this as we leave from this place and we would see this place transformed. And not only this place, but this city and this state. Because God honors things like that. See also Ruth's example. Thank the Lord she demonstrated steadfast love. Because that's why you and I will be in his presence one day. On to verse 2. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, those he redeemed from the hands of the foe. Why are they even redeemed? Where do these people come from? Well, I'll tell you where they came from. Because God is good and his love endures forever. That's the only reason they're introduced into the psalm. Because God is good and his love endures forever. But who are these redeemed people in Psalm 107? Well, the primary characteristic that we get is that they are a say-so people. And if you know Johnny Russell, this is one of his favorite things to do at the end of a conference or a meeting. Hey, he, he references Psalm 107 verse 2. He says, hey, the redeemed of the Lord should say so, so let's do that now. And credit to him for turning me on to this psalm. So thank you, Johnny, wherever you are. But the redeemed of the, of the Lord are to be a say-so people. This is not something you're to be quiet about. You're to shout it out. You know, so many things are being said about our God and about the Lord Jesus Christ. We are to be the counter-narrative to those lies. We need to be a say-so people. 
And I'm talking about society right now, but we need to be say-so husbands and say-so wives and say-so fathers and say-so children's ministry volunteers and say-so AV team and worship band and facilities team, missions team. Let us be a say-so people because that's what we should be. That's what the redeemed of the Lord are. But we still don't know who these people are. We haven't exactly fleshed that out. Titus 2, 13 through 14 says, Our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. Well, are we the redeemed in Psalm 107? That's an easy mistake to make, but the answer is no. This principle is a good one to remember. All scripture is for us, not all scripture is to us. The entire Bible, another person said, the entire Bible is written for us, but not every verse is addressed to us or about us. The redeemed of the Lord in Psalm 107 verse 2, that's a prophetic look forward to the wandering Jew who's going to return home to the promised land one day. And it's going to be the Lord who does it. So we've covered verse 1, 2, and 3 because God's going to gather those people from the lands from east and west, from north and south. Covered a lot of ground there. We got 10 minutes to do the rest of the psalm, so I'm told. So we're going to have to hustle. (laughs) But let's just summarize here. Give thanks to the Lord. That's a commandment. It's how you operate best. God is good. That's not something to just throw out there, although you should throw it out all the time. Man, that is a That is a truth to hold on to. That's an anchor to cling to in a stormy sea. That is a battle cry, a rallying point. God is good even when your best friend dies and leaves a widow and two children in the picture, but three later. I forgot to mention that part of the story. A son that he hasn't held yet, but he will one day. What else do we need to remember? His steadfast love, his hesed endures forever. God has chosen a people to redeem and they are to be a say-so people. If you know Jesus as your savior, that's you. Not in this psalm, but you are redeemed and you should say so. And lastly, God keeps his promises to Israel. He's gonna put them back in that land one day. And to me, Romans eleven twenty nine. 29, for God's gift and his call are irrevocable. There's a lot of meat there in verse one, two, and three. We're going to quickly go through maybe one of these four stanzas, but I would encourage you to go to the weight room of the word, God's sprint field, and reflect on this later. You'll see a pattern. There's going to be a people in a helpless state with a specific need. Their need prompts them to cry for a deliverer. God responds in steadfast love. You get to see Hesed in action as he rescues these people. And he meets their exact need. God does custom work. He doesn't just stamp out things on an assembly line. He's a fine craftsman when it comes to redemption. And then you, lastly, you see their right response to Hesed. And I didn't anticipate It's like having four great things and having to choose one of them. It's hard to pick which one because they're all so good. But I trust you're going to go and look at them. 
Oh, let's turn to the fourth one. That's going to be uh, Psalm 107, verse 23 through 32. We'll start in at verse 23. I'm going to reread it for us. Others went out to, on the sea in ships. They were merchants on the mighty waters. They saw the works of the Lord, his wonderful deeds in the deep, for he spoke and stirred up a tempest that lifted high the waves. They mounted up to the heavens and went down to the depths. In their peril, their courage melted away. They reeled and staggered like drunken men. They were at their wits' end. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he brought them out of their distress. He stilled the storm to a whisper. The waves of the sea were hushed. They were glad when it grew calm, and he guided them to their desired haven. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for men. Let them exalt him in the assembly of the people and praise him in the council of the elders. Now, I already told you Psalm 107 is about a Jewish people that will be returned one day, but these things were given to us for examples. And I think there's an example that we can draw out of here. I don't know what this brings to mind for you, but for me, it brings to mind Jesus calming the storm, right? Mark 4, verses 35 through 41. That day when the evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up. And the waves broke over the boat, so it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. And I love those words, because it's like what you would say to a dog. Hush, stop barking, be muzzled. That's the power that our Savior has. And he showed it in creation. He showed it best on the cross. But that's that, show me that strength, Daddy. I mean, that's the power he has available. That is more than able to meet anything you have going on in your life. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. These men experienced the steadfast love of the Lord in a physical way that day on the Sea of Galilee. But it was a picture of a coming demonstration of the steadfast love of the Lord as he went to the cross for them and died for them. And when you encounter that, like verse 31 says, they gave thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for men. They remembered the storm, but they recognized what he did on the cross. And you know what those men went on to do? To exalt him in the assembly of the people? and praise him in the council, uh, the council of the elders, see the book of Acts, where they are in prison, and many of them end up dying, because when you encounter the hesed of the Lord, the steadfast love of the Lord, and the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, it doesn't matter. Prison? Okay. You're good, God. In prison. Death sentence? I wouldn't vote for it, but you didn't ask me to vote. So yeah, you're good, God. Your love endures forever. Let's jump to verse 43, and we'll quickly wrap it up. Whoever is wise, let him heed these things and consider the great love of the Lord. That's the call that I leave you with today. Heed these things. Consider the steadfast love, the hesed of the Lord. I said this word's untranslatable by men, and it is. Because men much smarter and much more skilled and much more experienced than I could not come up with a word. 
But God has provided for me and for you the exact perfect translation. Do you know what that is? It's one word, Jesus. You want a translation for steadfast love, for said? It's Jesus. Consider Ruth's demonstration of steadfast love, her confession to Naomi. I'm going to read it one more time. Don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Who has said that he will never leave you or turn back from you? Jesus. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Who has given you his spirit, the spirit of Christ, that he might always be with you wherever you go, whether it be prison or a stormy sea or the grave of your friend? Jesus. Your people will be my people and your God my God who died that you might become his people and he might become your God, Jesus. Where you die, I will die and there I will be buried. Who literally took your place on the cross Died and was buried, but here's the deal. He's not buried anymore. He's alive. And we worship and serve a risen Christ. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if anything but death separates me and you. Who has promised you that nothing ever, see the end of Romans 8, nothing ever can separate you from him who has redeemed you He is the translation of that word. And he's not done acting in his sin. If you know Jesus as your savior, he, he calls you his body. I'm addressing his body today. Bethel, we are his body. If you know Jesus as, as your savior, how are we doing at saying so? How are we doing at demonstrating the steadfast love of the Lord? I wore the shirt today for a reason. The children's ministry could be better. This is an old shirt. You didn't get this shirt if you start working there tomorrow. This shirt from, I don't know, two, three years ago? I've been there a while. And I stand up here today and ask you to come alongside us. If you have been in touch with God's has said, and you feel his calling, consider doing that with us. Consider coming alongside Michael Swindow, who's not gonna be the answer to our problems, but he's gonna be like Home Depot. You can do it, he can help. We are to be the children's ministry team. We are to declare the steadfast love of the Lord. And that's the, that's the place where I'm serving, that's the only example I can come up with. But I love how God provided an object lesson this morning. I didn't get to talk to Jeff. I didn't say, hey, get the missions team up here and you know, bring up Scott and Miriam. That would be great. But that's an object lesson. People going out, declaring the steadfast love of the Lord, being the hands, the feet, the body of Christ in a broken, fallen world. You have gifting. Deploy it somewhere. And the amazing thing is it won't be you who's doing it. Philippians 2.13 says, For, uh, it is God who works in you both to will and to act according to his good purpose. It's supernatural. He'll do it through you. I don't want to leave you with that children's ministry thing and think that it's a threat. But that's how you respond to a great lover. You can't help it. It's not a threat to go out and say, you should be a say-so people. No, you won't help but be a say-so people as you spend time with this great lover. 
who gave literally everything for you. Now I recognize some people in this room may not know that great lover. Psalm 107 talks about two groups of people there, about a people that go from plenty, a, a oasis to a desert, and then about another group of people that go from a desert to an oasis. And I think that's a reminder of the two groups of people on this earth, those that know Jesus as Savior and those that don't. You're in one of those two groups. Man, if you're redeemed, good news. This is your desert. It's as bad as it gets. We're moving towards the oasis. If you're not the redeemed, a sober warning. This is as good as it gets. And it only gets worse. So worse I can't even put it into words. But remember the steadfast love of the Lord. Consider, as verse 43 says, the great love of the Lord and what he has done in Jesus. And if you want to talk to somebody about making that decision, what a great day to do it. Because God's a God of many chances. It's the first chance, there's a second chance, there's often many, many more, but there's always a last chance. Approach that with sobriety of mind. Let's pray together as we consider the steadfast has said, great love of the Lord. Heavenly Father, you're such a good God.